صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Palestine Remembered, your one-stop shop for all things Palestine. A big thanks for everybody for listening this year. I know it's been particularly difficult for all of our listeners worldwide. Relatively easy, arguably, in Australia, even though Victoria and where I live in Melbourne, Wurundjeri land, it's been tougher than the rest of Australia. We must give some thought to how the rest of the world has coped with COVID and the challenges they faced. In particular to those in Palestine living under the hell and brutality of the Israeli occupation. And in particular to our brothers and sisters, our Palestinians in Gaza, who are in an absolute catastrophic situation. They're now all the hospital beds are filled. Uh, The Department of Health is wanting to create a lockdown, but with a population density of in excess of 5,000 people per square kilometre. Remembering that Australia's population density is around two people per square kilometre. With a population density of in excess of 5,000 per square kilometre, many of those Palestinians, refugees in refugee camps, social isolation, safety in, in the comfort of your home is not really an option for Palestinians. So COVID's got in, it's running like wildfire. Thousands of people are getting tested. In fact, in Gaza, the positive results are in excess of 40%. So of every 100 people tested, more than 40% are positive. There isn't the capacity to do the sort of testing and the numbers of tests required to be able to identify where the hotspots are, to be able to isolate those cases, the super spreaders. Um, If you look around and have a look at the numbers with the in Melbourne, we were never anywhere near sort of, you know, 1% or 2% of tests being positive. In fact, one of our worst days was something like 700 positive results in a population of around six and a bit million people. They're getting hundreds every day in Gaza with a population of only 2 million. But as we know, because the percentage rate is so high of all those that are being tested, There are countless thousands of undetected other cases and sadly it's running wildfire through there. So our thoughts and prayers are with all Indigenous peoples as they struggle for their rights to self-determination, but in particular during this global pandemic with the Palestinians, the Palestinians within 48, the West Bank, East Jerusalem, but in particular those Palestinians in Gaza. I've got some good news for a change and you know, it's rare that we get to deliver some great news on Palestine Remembered because of the challenges we mostly face but I'm really really grateful to those listeners that responded to our show for Rafif and Phil you will of course recall the show where we had Phil and Rafif on we replayed it in fact 
a couple of weeks ago, we were raising, endeavouring to raise money for a crowdfunder for Rafif's latest album. I'm very, very excited to tell you that uh, she exceeded her total. So that album will be going live. We're going to play a couple of other songs from there. Um, if you wanted to support that, you can still do so by going to the possible site and searching Rafif. I'll put that link in the podcast as well. So we're going to hear a couple of other songs there, which is great. We're going to also speak about the IHRA statement, and in particular, a very, very strong Palestinian response to that that was published in The Guardian over the weekend. First, let's listen to Jerusalem by Rafif and Phil. The orange man spoke. The orange man spoke. The orange man spoke, promised the city away, the blue of our skies. Said quickly, God knows best. A God with a tendency to speak to white folk. Make them promise what never belonged to them in the first place. A God trading in history on the open market. So the orange man spoke, asked us to follow him into the slaughter, sign the deed to our cemeteries, take our dead elsewhere. He spoke of reality and facts on the ground, promised peace. If we could only dance to the gods of skyscrapers and bulldozers, promised peace. If we could only dance to the gods of skyscrapers and bulldozers, surrender the heavens, be thankful for crumbs. For the meek shall inherit the rubble. For the meek shall inherit the rubble. For the meek shall inherit the rubble. Orange man, keep your god of skyscrapers and promised land. God of emperors and unholy alliance. Our faith, our faith is a child handcuffed and surrounded by soldiers. Our divine is a woman clutching a rock. We pray, we pray to the god of poetry fighting in the alleys of the old city. We pray, we pray to the god of poetry in every breath in Jerusalem. The more I listen to that album, the more impressed I am by the raw talent of Rafif Ziyadeh and Phil Mansour. So thanks again, and don't forget to go to Possible, P-O-Z-I-B-L-E, and search Rafif. You can support that work and order your own album. They've also got some funky t-shirts and other things that you can order while you're there. And now to the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IHRA Controversy. The IHRA statement was signed by 122 Palestinian Arab academics, journalists and intellectuals. And it starts with, We the undersigned Palestinian and Arab academics, journalists and intellectuals are hereby stating our views regarding the definition of anti-Semitism by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IHRA, and the way this definition has been applied, interpreted and deployed in several countries of Europe and North America. In recent years, the fight against anti-Semitism has been increasingly instrumentalized by the Israeli government and its supporters in an effort to delegitimize the Palestinian cause and silence defenders of Palestinian rights. Diverting the necessary struggle against anti-Semitism to serve such an agenda threatens to debase this struggle and hence discredit and weaken it. Anti-Semitism must be debunked and combated. 
regardless of pretense, no expression of hatred for Jews as Jews should be tolerated anywhere in the world. Anti-Semitism manifests itself in sweeping generalizations and stereotypes about Jews regarding power and money in particular, along with conspiracy theories and Holocaust denial. We regard as legitimate and necessary the fight against such attitudes. We also believe that the lessons of the Holocaust, as well as those of other genocides of modern times, must be part of the education of new generations against all forms of racial prejudice and hatred. The fight against anti-Semitism must, however, be approached in a principled manner, lest it defeat its purpose. Through examples that it provides, the IHRA definition conflates Judaism with Zionism in assuming that all Jews are Zionist, and that the State of Israel in its current reality embodies the self-determination of all Jews. We profoundly disagree with this. The fight against anti-Semitism should not be turned into a stratagem to delegitimize the fight against the oppression of the Palestinians, the denial of their rights, and the continued occupation of their land. We regard the following principles as crucial in that regard. 1. The fight against anti-Semitism must be deployed within the frame of international law and human rights. It should be part and parcel of the fight against all forms of racism and xenophobia, including Islamophobia and anti-Arab and anti-Palestinian racism. The aim of this struggle is to guarantee freedom and emancipation for all oppressed groups. It is deeply distorted when geared towards the defense of an oppressive and predatory state. 2. There is a huge difference between a condition where Jews are singled out, oppressed and suppressed as a minority by anti-Semitic regimes or groups, and a condition where the self-determination of a Jewish population, Palestine slash Israel, has been implemented in the form of an ethnic, exclusivist, and territorially expansionist state. It exists. The state of Israel is based on uprooting the vast majority of the natives, what Palestinians and Arabs referred to as the Nakba, subjugating those natives who still live on the territory of historical Palestine as either second-class citizens or people under occupation, denying them their right to self-determination. 3. The IHRA definition of anti-Semitism and the related legal measures adopted in several countries have been deployed mostly against left-wing and human rights groups supporting Palestinian rights and the boycott, divestment and sanctions campaign, sidelining the very real threat to Jews coming from right-wing white nationalist movements in Europe and the US. The portrayal of the BDS campaign as anti-Semitic is a gross distortion of what is fundamentally a legitimate, non-violent means of struggle for Palestinian rights. 4. The IHRA definition statement that an example of anti-Semitism is denying the Jewish people their right to self-determination, e.g. by claiming that the state of Israel is a racist endeavor, close quotes, is quite odd. It does not bother to recognize that under international law, the current state of Israel has been an occupying power for over half a century, as recognized by the governments of countries where the IHRA definition is being upheld. It does not bother to consider whether this right includes the right to create a Jewish majority by way of ethnic cleansing and whether it should be balanced against the rights of the Palestinian people. Furthermore, the IHRA definition potentially discards as anti-Semitic all non-Zionist visions of the future of the Israeli state, such as the advocacy of a binational state or a secular state, one that represents all of its citizens equally. Genuine support for the principle of a people's right to self-determination 
cannot exclude the Palestinian nation, nor any other. 5. We believe that no right to self-determination should include the right to uproot another people and prevent them from returning to their land any other means of securing a demographic majority within that state. The demand by Palestinians for their right of return to their land from which they themselves, their parents and grandparents were expelled, cannot be construed as anti-Semitic. The fact that such a demand creates anxieties amongst Israelis does not prove that it is unjust, nor that it is anti-Semitic. Is the right recognized by international law as represented in United Nations General Assembly Resolution 194 of 1948? 6. To level the charge of anti-Semitism against anyone who regards the existing state of Israel as racist, notwithstanding the actual institutional and constitutional discrimination on which it is based, amounts to granting Israel absolute impunity. Israel can thus deport its Palestinian citizens, or revoke their citizenship, or deny them the right to vote, and still be immune from accusations of racism. The IHRA definition and the way it has been deployed prohibit any discussion of the Israeli state as based on ethno-religious discrimination. It thus contravenes elementary justice and basic norms of human rights and international law. We believe that justice requires the full support of Palestinians' rights to self-determination, including the demand to end the internationally acknowledged occupation of their territories and the statelessness and deprivation of Palestinian refugees. The suppression of Palestinian rights in the IHRA definition betrays an attitude upholding Jewish privilege in Palestine instead of Jewish rights, and Jewish supremacy over Palestinians instead of Jewish safety. We believe that human values and rights are indivisible and that the fight against anti-Semitism should go hand in hand with the struggle on behalf of all of oppressed peoples and groups for dignity, equality and emancipation. I'm sure you'll agree, a really, really profound and powerful statement. I'll put a link to that, to that Guardian piece in the podcast. So if you want to share it with somebody or get the actual text yourself so you can use and learn from it and empower yourself to be able to make an articulate argument, you'll be able to get a hold of that. I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that that IHRA statement was authored by a Zionist. Uh, Kenneth Stern is his name. And in fact, he wrote an article stating his concern that even though he was a Zionist, he was worried that people, Zionists, right-wing Jews, were using this in a McCarthy-like way and that the definition was being weaponized. Um, And his actual quote was, it's being weaponized to suppress rather than answer political speech. And one thing he acknowledges in that article is he says, and this is as a Zionist, Kenneth Stern, he says, if he'd been born a Palestinian, and he was displaced in 1948, he might have a different view of Zionism. And he quotes, and that need not be because we vilified Jews. And that's the important thing to understand from a Palestinian concept and context, is that it isn't about Judaism, it isn't about the day that Jews celebrate their God as distinct from Christians and Muslims. It's about the fact that a colonialist enterprise came in And to create their ethno-religious state, they needed the land to be terra nullius. And the way they did that was to ethnically cleanse, was massacres, and and the genocide of the Palestinian people. And we talk about genocide, perhaps not in the context of uh, Rwanda or the Holocaust, about genocide in the sense of 
genocide being an intentional action to destroy a people. Now, the fact that Palestine doesn't exist, that Palestinians don't have the right, haven't been able to fulfill their right to self-determination, they languish in refugee camps in Gaza, large open air, air prison on earth. This is an intentional act by Israel denying Palestinians their rights. And this is in itself an, an intentional act to destroy a people, not necessarily to eliminate them, but definitely to destroy the whole concept and thought of what should be a free Palestinian state. And ultimately, you know, my hope is for a one democratic state where there is a separation of church and state and that we all live together in peace and harmony. And I recall the great story of my father in the 30s in the old city, in the old streets of Jerusalem. Abraham, Avraham and Ibrahim, that's Arabic, English and Hebrew for the prophet Abraham. They played marbles together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And on Friday, Ibrahim went to mosque. And on Saturday, Abraham went to temple. On Sunday, Abraham went to church. But on Monday, they all played marbles together again. We can live and dream about that magical Palestine and hope one day that we'll live to see it again. There's another song from Phil and Rafif. It's called Define. Define, redefine, undefine, define, redefine, undefine, define, redefine, undefine, all you will. Fill in the blank left by Palestinians.
another powerful song, Phil and Rafif. Don't forget to go to Possible, P-O-Z-I-B-L-E. It'll be in the podcast link. Support that album. Buy yourself a copy. It's about to be released and get some cool and funky other pro palo stuff. Got to get on it. This past week saw another extrajudicial targeted killing by the State of Israel. I'm no fan of Iran, no fan of the brutality of the regime there and in fact what they've done to Palestinians in Iraq, in Syria, they've got a lot to answer for. But I can't countenance the sort of extrajudicial actions of the State of Israel. Now we know absolutely and without equivocation that Professor Mohsen Farikazadi, who was assassinated in his car in front of his wife and children uh, during the week, that this was a Mossad hit. Benjamin Netanyahu had the sly, knowing smile of, uh, uh, you know, a cat that had got the mouse uh, in a press conference, and he, and he said it's been a big week of achievements in his press conference. One of the challenges is these, these achievements don't make the world a safer place. They certainly don't. When Israel decides who is an enemy of Israel and terminates them, liquidates them, sends a hit crew, there is no judge and jury. We in the in the West get told that this person was a, an immediate threat. There's no, uh, no evidence is ever given. Obviously, the complicit and complying Western media allows for that narrative to just get played out without any without any challenge to that narrative and i say that because you know imagine if the roles were reversed imagine if iran had sent somebody to israel and had assassinated an israeli scientist imagine the sort of condemnation that would have happened in the world how we would have been non-stop seeing pictures of his mourning uh wife uh, the family the the veneration of that person's career, etc. But the the killing of brown people by white people, inverted commas, goes unnoticed and unmentioned and just passes by. And I recall Palestinians that have been assassinated along the journey, many, many tens of Palestinians along the journey. And I'm talking about our leaders, our academics, our scientists, not the thousands of Palestinians that have been killed in the brutality of the showers has been uh, some members of the Israeli Knesset have wanted to commit within Gaza. I'm not talking about Sabra and Shatila, about all of the other massacres perpetuated by Israeli leaders and ultimately prime ministers. They you know, went from vast military careers into Nobel Peace Prizes, etc. I'm talking about you know people like Abu Jihad, Khalid al-Wazir, who was shot and killed in front of his wife and children in Tunis in 1988. I mean, the people that did that became prime ministers of the state of Israel. They served in the Knesset and lead them. And of course, the justification for this assassination was that this professor was in fact in charge of Iran's illegitimate nuclear activities, as if Israel gets to determine what are legitimate nuclear activities. Because the argument here is Israel is the only nuclear-powered state in the Middle East, with in excess of 200 nuclear warheads, making it the fifth largest nuclear power on Earth. Israel refuses to allow inspectors to inspect its nuclear program. Israel is not a signatory to any international nuclear programs or protocols. 
So if any country has an illegitimate nuclear activity, it is in fact the state of Israel, thus using this Israeli bond uh, secret service movie style uh, assassination technique and using the concept of illegitimate nuclear activities, it would be legitimate for the state of Iran to in fact eliminate or to murder or to take out Israeli scientists. I want to make it very clear that I'm certainly not advocating for that to happen. But the reality, when you use that sort of Orwellian language and it just gets allowed to pass, you know, without challenge in the Western media, nobody's actually challenging these people, saying to them, hold on a second, you've gone to a sovereign country and killed somebody. They've under UN sanction. We're in the middle of that lame duck sort of handover period between Trump's presidency and Biden's presidency where Netanyahu, I believe, saw an opportunity to take this guy out and see if he can't create some sort of reaction or to rattle the cage, if you will. And Netanyahu's got form. He did this in the handover period between Bush's administration and um, Obama's first administration. If you recall, he went into Gaza and in what was called Operation Cast Lead and lasted for 22 days from the 27th of December 08 to the 18th of January 09. Operation killed around 1,500 Palestinians, many of them, many of them civilians, police officers. You know, Israel doesn't distinguish between civil servants and the ruling Hamas party. Then, as now, the incoming president said nothing and allowed that action to happen without reprisal, without condemnation. It's a sad and sorry state of affairs that these actions, the actions of I call the rogue state of Israel is not held to account and why I support wholeheartedly the boycott, divestment and sanctions campaign. Why it's so important to boycott the state of Israel, to divest from the state of Israel, to sanction the state of Israel until it complies with international law when it ends the occupation, when it allows Palestinians to return to their homes and fulfill the obligations of UN General Assembly Resolution 194, which Israel was admitted into the United Nations and its admission was predicated upon the full implementation of UN Resolution 194. Since 1948, now 72 years, Israel has been in breach of its obligations to fulfill that and for the um, Israel to treat its Palestinian citizens in a manner that's equal under the law. Coming to the end of another show, but just a quick report on the city of Carmel, which is in the Galilee in the north historic Palestine. There's a city there that has a population that's roughly about 6% Palestinian, so overwhelmingly a, a Jewish city. That being said, they are citizens of the state of Israel entitled to an education. There are no Arab teaching schools there. And so the citizens of Carmel have to send their kids to another town to get uh, an Arab education or an education in Arabic. And one of the families there sued the uh, council slash the government seeking reimbursement for the bus fares that were being incurred for having to ship their kids uh, uh, into another city to get an education. They took the state to court they lost and interestingly or you know controversially or not controversial in an apartheid state of course the israeli court cited the controversial nation state law ruling that its jewish character must be preserved the magistrate said 
establishing an Arab language school and funding school rights for Arab students could change the demographic balance and damage the city's character. He said that the state views and development of Jewish settlement as a national value and will work to encourage and advance its establishment and consolidation. We know that it's apartheid and this is what it is, but the reality is that Arabs, Palestinians, have been moving into these Jewish cities because they can't get building permits in Arab villages and, and cities and increasingly having to move into those cities. The challenge with this is that it comes at a cost. And the cost is connection to their own communities, but also access to their culture. This nation-state law, which gives preeminence to the Jewish people at the expense of all the other people, is apartheid, pure and simple. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share the podcast. Tell your friends to tune in next week. We've got another show to go before we enter our holiday program. Visit Posible, P-O-Z-I-B-L-E, search Rafif, support her album, download your own copy. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.